Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, What It Takes to Innovate. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And joining us today is Gina Chung. Gina is Vice President, Innovation Americas at DHL, where she is responsible for DHL's Americas Innovation Center. Gina, welcome. Thank you, Bob and Abe. It's great to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Addie Ignatius, the editor of the Harvard Business Review, once wrote that we're not quite sure exactly who coined the phrase innovate or die, but the sentiment in business today is gospel. You either stay ahead of the pace of change or you're toast. Well, who wouldn't want to be an innovator? After all, today's most innovative companies, think Tesla, Apple, Google, and Amazon, have been rewarded with riches beyond imagination by the investment community. And who wouldn't want a piece of that? But I think innovation goes beyond stock price rewards. As Ignatius suggested, the ability to innovate, to ferret out the technologies that will transform a process and deliver a competitive advantage is becoming not just a differentiator, but a supply chain imperative if you don't want to become toast. And no one wants that. So what does it take to innovate in the supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about with Gina. So, Gina, why don't we start with the basics? As head of innovation at DHL, what does innovation mean to you, and and how do you define it? Well, first, I think you summed up the imperative for supply chain innovation perfectly. Um, So I think it is the time that supply chain professionals really start to um, digitalize and make plans to um, innovate and do things differently. Um, In my role at DHL, heading innovation for our Americas region, Um, I drive a customer-centric and open innovation approach. So I'll break that that, that down a little bit. Um, What I mean by customer-centric innovation is uh, we follow how our customers' organizations, um, their industries are evolving, um, and we listen to what their changes will then in turn mean for the supply chains that we operate. Uh, The second part about open innovation uh, means that uh, for us as a company, um, innovation is um, something that we deliver through partnership with uh, startups as well as other um, you know, technology companies and organizations. Uh, and that's in contrast to you know, some other companies that have wonderful in-house teams that can develop robots and the latest AI and all sorts of other things. For us, uh, we know that we're really good at logistics, so we try to partner with um, companies that are developing that kind of technology. So um, in summary, I would say, you know, innovation a lot of times isn't about developing, you know, brand new digital business models and spinning those out of DHL. Most of the time, it's ways that we can increase operational efficiency, could be process optimization. uh, But a lot of the times now, um, it's very exciting that, you know, operational efficiency could mean um, introducing the latest warehousing robotics to help get orders out faster for our customers Um, It could be innovation to improve our customer experience, Um, simple things like digitalizing the interaction points with our customers, uh, but also allowing them to get access to our data 
to have more visibility and control. So that's kind of in a nutshell what we're focusing on when it comes to innovation. Gina, it's really interesting that you're bringing up a lot of disparate points to this, and a lot of individuals would say, well, DHL is such a large company. They have the resources. They have the focus to be able to manage or, you know, focus resources on it. So organizations that may not be as mature as DHL, can they set up an innovation center? And what does it take to build that team? Yeah, so um, one of my um, favorite pastimes is just exchanging with other innovation center leads at other companies. And um, there is a secret to the success of an innovation center. So I think any company can set one up but there are a few things that have to be very clear. Um, so I'll take a few steps back and kind of um, share, um, you know, what is our innovation center. Um, so they are physical facilities uh, designed to showcase new innovations and engage on innovation with our customers after their visit. In our showroom, um, I manage a 28,000 square foot facility. Um, in our showroom, we have the latest robotics on display. Um, to, you know, 10 different kinds of sustainable packaging innovations under our roof. And our customers essentially come here, um, they explore, they um, interact with all these different innovations. We do extremely tailored tours so that, you know, if you're in retail, we focus on retail innovations versus an automotive customer. And um, out of a tour, we then brainstorm several joint initiatives to then, you know, further pursue with our customers. So um, I manage one of four different um, innovation centers we have across the globe. And in terms of, you know, your original question, how do you set up a successful innovation center? I would say um, first thing is to be extremely clear on what facility will be used for and um, what it will be, what it will deliver on. So for us, that's engaging our top 100, top 200 customers on innovation via tours, workshops. Um, events, et cetera, at our facility. Uh, we measure that by um, satisfaction and NPS of our customers who come. And then we um, trigger innovation projects and measure how many projects are coming out um, and also what that, how that impacts the overall customer relationship that we have. The next part would be, if you're setting up an innovation center, be clear how you connect and drive a pipeline of visitors I've also been to um, some innovation labs, you know, that's got you know, spider webs and whatnot on it. So um, you need to connect and understand, you know, if you're trying to reach customers as your primary audience, how do you actually make sure that the organization is helping you to continuously drive pipeline? And um, what, one question I always get is, you know, where are you guys situated within DHL being such a large company? Um, we actually fall under the organization of our chief commercial officer. So my time is spent working very closely with our business development teams and account management teams at DHL, and that in turn kind of they bring customers to our facility. And then the last part is so, so crucial, I think, is teams and resources. So things get outdated very quickly at any innovation lab. Um, nobody wants to see something they saw, you know, 10 years ago. So um, you need the resources, you know, financial investment to not just invest in a center once, but constantly update it, bring in the latest robotics, bring in the latest analytics technologies, um, just uh, you know, bring, keep that innovation center alive. Um, and then, of course, um, you need to have the team to actually run it and um, be knowledgeable and stay up to date with the latest and greatest happening on the market. 
Uh, Gina, if your inbox looks like mine, I get about 50 emails a day from, you know, startups, some doing a me too. You know, there, there seems to be about 9,000 robotic startups these days. Uh, but some also talking about, you know, new technologies. And then there's established companies that are also doing new. So with all of that happening first, how do you and your team stay abreast of what's happening? You know, do you go to shows? Do you go on tours? What do you do just to, to, to keep on top of what's emerging? And then from all of that, how do you identify the technologies um, that you think are going to hold promise for DHL? Where do you start? Well, first, Bob, I didn't like that you were describing my inbox as well. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there are a lot of different startups out there right now. Um, I think, you know, when we first started some of our startup engagements nine, some nine years ago, there were, you know, not as many on the market, but now there's, you know, so many different uh, awesome startups that are developing solutions for our industry. Um, so that's, you know, in one hand, a big opportunity, but also a challenge to your point on how do you actually filter um, and how do you also benchmark, you know, which of the, you know, tens of different robotics companies working on a single use case is the one that you should kind of uh, work with, right? So um, that first part is kind of actually understanding what are the trends that you need to be looking out for. And I mentioned earlier that our customers come to our innovation centers. Um, that's roughly around 14,000 visitors a year. That means that we get all of this rich insight into what's actually happening on the market, uh, we also then uh, connect with various different technology and um, innovation professionals, and we distill that into what we call our logistics trend radar. It's a document, a tool essentially that we update every two years that captures the top um, 30 different trends impacting the logistics industry over the next five to 10 years. It's a public document, so if you're listening and you want to check it out, um, it's on DHL's website. Um, you can download a copy or play around with the interactive tool. So it's just knowledge that we kind of share back to the industry of where we think some of these trends are developing. And for us internally, the trend radar really sets the foundation for all the different trends that we're scouting for. Um, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, unfocused scouting for 30 trends constantly, but uh, we've kind of flipped the trend radar in a way that it kind of shows the core trends that you should be scouting for. So once we know that, you know, we think Artificial intelligence will have a huge impact in our industry, robotics and automation, cloud computing, uh, omni-channel logistics, rethinking packaging is another trend. Uh, we then kind of keep an eye out for these startups. And uh, sometimes these startups approach DHL just purely because of the brand that we've built the last nine years, uh, being very active in the ecosystem. But a lot of the times uh, we kind of find these startups through, you know, scouting partners, through VC. Um, um, there's a lot more supply chain and logistics focused VCs than in, um, you know, five compared to even just five years ago. Um, and then a lot of our um, technology partners, uh, industrial partners, um, bring in new companies as well that they're partnering with. So that's kind of how we come and find these solutions. I would say it's a very kind of organic approach. Sometimes we find them, sometimes they find us, sometimes it comes through a partner. Gina, really interesting in terms of, you know, sort of that uh, world out there, that dynamic world of, you know, innovation and technology. So as you're thinking about transforming the processes, you're saying you're getting a lot of input from your customer base, whether it's robotics, blockchain, or even drones. 
How do you get to the next level? Do you have organizations raise their hand and say, I want to participate on a proof of concept, or do you have to sort of coax them into doing this? Give me a sense of how you get the customer base to pilot or to, you know, to innovate in real time. Yeah, I think that um, journey is getting always easier and easier, um, you know, how we started off the podcast, right, that imperative to innovate in supply chains now. So um, now there's even more um, customers saying, you know, we got to do something, like, let's do that together. But again, I, just like the startup scouting, it's a very organic process. Sometimes we approach, sometimes our customers approach us. But in terms of how we go from kind of trend radar, finding a startup to a proof of concept or pilot, when we know for a visit to the innovation center, for example, that we have um, a specific challenge from a customer's operation where we could improve it using X technology. Uh, we do this, we set up a proof of concept by partnering with the business unit. And if you're a cross-functional innovation team like me and you serve multiple business units, you just can't do it yourself. You can't kind of do it behind closed doors and then, you know, pat yourself on the shoulder afterwards because it's just not going to then get the buy-in to um, be implemented and scaled afterwards. So we partner from the get-go with um, a business unit uh, with senior sponsor so that it is something that has buy-in throughout the organization. And we then set up the proof of concept in a live operation. So we don't really, we haven't really gone for the let's have an offline kind of dummy warehouse, generic warehouse where we test things. Um, that might be the innovation center to a certain extent in the early kind of, if it's a very kind of um, early technology. But most of our, I would say the vast majority of our pilots are done in the live operation so that we can actually see how it's working in a production environment. So we do it with a business unit. We have our, you know, startup partners. I mentioned open innovation. We love to partner to find solutions. And then um, many times our customers also directly involved. We run a pilot, depending on what it is, it's, it's very different if it's a robotics pilot versus an analytics project. But, uh, we run it from anything from, I would say, one to eight weeks. We get the results and either take that decision to implement it at the site if it's something very specific for a single operation or a warehouse. But if it is scalable, which is um, what we're always trying to go after, you know, that's the biggest challenge I think many corporate spaces, you know, you have something that's successful, it's scalable. And then um, the next part is getting it from, you know, one facility to 2000 without it taking 10 years. Without giving away the company store, can you give us some examples of projects that the Innovation Center has worked on or some of the technologies that, you know, you're following and piloting now that you think uh, are really going to make a, a difference in supply chain? What are you working on? Yeah, sure. I mean, in terms of what we've worked on, um, you know, in the in the past, for example, in recent past, we led some of the very first robotics projects for assisted picking and warehousing. So this was around 2015, 2016, where we embarked on our first project with Locust Robotics. I think they're a well-known uh, startup in the, the logistics industry by now. Um, and that was a great project. Um, we then, you know, fast forward to 2021, we're just committed to deploying 2000 in 2022. Uh, also looked into the first use of smart glasses for case picking. Um, that was also back in 2015, 16. Um, and now that's rolled out to multiple warehouses in North America. Um, but in terms of what we're looking at now, um, a lot of it is on one hand, operational innovation. We have also some projects that are developing kind of new services around analytics and risk management. 
Um, the latest on robotics, just naturally being in um, the US, I have a strong emphasis on that. We've been focused a lot on robotic arms enhanced with um, artificial intelligence software. I think in an earlier podcast from The Rebound, I was listening to you um, on small parcels. I think, Bob, you mentioned that every day is Cyber Monday these days for um, e-commerce companies and parcel uh, logistics providers. And um, here um, we've been working on implementing robotic arm cells that basically take a, um, a package that a human operator has kind of put on a belt and that sorts it into various different locations based on um, zip code. And by using robotic arms, we're able to actually sort 35% more packages per hour. And each actual robotic cell um, sorts over a thousand pieces per hour. So that's just one project that now we're um, translating over to a variety of different use cases now that we're confident with the partner that was involved in that project, now that we're confident in actually what robotic arms as a technology and AI is able to provide. We can now um, apply it to secondary sortation. That's a project that's currently live. Uh, we're about to go into an induction as well as also sort to put wall, which then um, dies, uh, ties in directly with our customers. Gina, really interesting in terms of some of the you know cutting edge type uh, activities. Uh, let me go to the other side. Uh, there's a number of axioms out there about innovation that you should fail small, fail fast. You know, in order to mitigate a lot of the you know significant investment. Not every idea is going to work. From DHL's perspective, when do you you know what are the criteria for you to say you know what we need to move on to a different technology or a different project. And how do you negotiate or communicate that to your partners? As you're saying, you do so in a collaborative fashion. Do you sometimes frustrate your partners by pulling out of investments or innovations that you don't believe are going to, you know, be sustainable in the long run? I always like to say that, you know, failure is going to be an option uh, as an outcome of a project that we're pursuing. And um, to your point, the, the key thing is how do we actually fail fast and not spend, you know, a year's resource just pursuing a project that, you know, isn't going to work out. What I can say is now nine years of having done this and being, to so, uh, you know, having visited so many operations and, um, you know, being familiar with solutions on the market is that while, you know, failure still happens and that's okay, that's part of the innovation process, uh, we've gotten a lot better to fail less. Uh, so, and we do that by continuously applying the learnings of past projects, past um, providers even as well. And many of those learnings are not just passed along across our organization to kind of give a heads up that, hey, if you're looking into exosuits now, we did a you know pilot two years ago and it wasn't very successful. These were the reasons. This is the project closure document. Just consider it, but great that you're looking into it now um, with new vendors. But a lot of the times I would also say that we pass these learnings directly onto startups that are developing new solutions. Uh, so if we have, you know, again, um, in 2021, some exosuit companies developing um, solutions for warehousing, we would share that document with them and say, hey, we've done this in the past, like how will your solution beat this because it wasn't successful? And they would actually then take that and try to improve upon it. So um, I think the learnings are passed, um, should be passed for any organization, not just um, internally, uh, but also to these very um, eager startups trying to just develop the best solution possible for the market and may not be as familiar with kind of some of the rich history of what's happened in the past. So an example that I can give um, on, on top of that is when we stepped back recently, we're looking at 
um, automated movement of non-conveyables in one of our operations. Great use case. Um, they could definitely benefit from that all being automated. Um, but after speaking to um, a variety of different uh, companies, we just realized there's no good solution on the market today that works for the very kind of dynamic space that we have and the tight space that we have for that particular operation. So we parked it. So now, you know, we might not be pursuing that project any longer. Um, it's parked um, in our parking lot, uh, but we do keep our eye out for um, a solution, perhaps at the next ProMat or Modex or um, just in conversations. And we'll be like, okay, um, that one seems to overcome some of the challenges that we saw from investigating that use case. Gene, the last question, and, and, and perhaps this should have been the first question, but uh, it got me thinking as I was listening to this. So about 10 years ago, I met a guy named Rick Sherman, who at the time had a title uh, at uh, AMR Research as futurist. And I remember saying to Rick, how do you get a job as a futurist? You know, it's, it's like, is there a major for that in school? You have innovation in your title. What was your background? How do you become um, an innovation leader? Yeah, um, I have an interesting background. You might hear from uh, my accent. I'm, I'm not from the area. I'm from New Zealand. Uh, so actually, during my um, studies in New Zealand, um, I majored, I sought my major in supply chain management just because I found it so fascinating. So I'm a supply chain major. Um, and then afterwards, I just joined DHL's innovation department some nine years ago and have stuck through it because it's been such an incredibly exciting and dynamic space. And um, that's, I guess, how I've become an innovation person, an innovation leader, if you want to call me that. But that's been the kind of secret to how I've gotten to where I am today. Great. Thank you. That's all the time we have today. Uh, a special thanks to our guest, Gina Chung. I, I really found this interesting. So we really appreciate having you on. Uh, and thank you, our listeners, for joining. We hope you'll be back for our next episode. For The Rebound, I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abesh Kanazi. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.